From the EPR Creation Studio, this is Jason Staples bringing you Unconquered with Doc Staples. This podcast, as always, is brought to you by EPR Creations, by Luis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, by Shenandoah Real Estate in the Research Triangle of North Carolina, by Garage Makeovers, the number one garage remodeling company in South Florida, and by my newest advertising partner, Justin Galloway of Benchmark Mortgage. As always, information's in the show notes. Let them know you heard about them from the Unconquered podcast with Doc Staples. Okay, yeah, I wasn't going to do this as a as its own standalone episode. But uh, for those of you who listened to the last episode, started to run a little bit longer than intended. So here we are doing the Florida State-Georgia pregame episode, the preview, talking about the Orange Bowl or as you might prefer, the backups bowl, the uh, glorified spring game that these two teams are going to be uh, engaging in. Obviously, Florida State is not going to have the majority of its most important players in this game who were major contributors for the 2023 season. We're going to get a chance to see what Florida State will look like without all those players and without some of the uh, other potential game changers that they are going to be adding uh, through the transfer portal and also that are going to be getting healthy. I mean, you get some of these guys are sitting out because of injury and other, other reasons. So, you know, you're going to see a a very different team out there from what you're going to see from what anything that you saw this year and from what you're going to see next year, but uh, still some interest to see certain guys and, and what this team looks like in certain areas after after bowl prep and uh, specific younger players getting some opportunities to uh, to audition for next year. I mean, that's what this is in, in, in large measure playing against a very talented Georgia team, a talented Georgia team that's had fewer opt outs. Uh, They've got a lot of guys in the transfer portal, obviously. I mean, they're, I think about 20 guys from their roster won't be playing in this game as well. So, I mean, both teams are going to be pretty, uh, pretty depleted in terms of depth. But one of the big differences is that Georgia just didn't have the same number of upper class, top level draftable type players on this year's roster. And I know that sounds crazy to say, but in terms of the top level, like first round, second round, third round, even fourth round type guys who are upperclassmen, Georgia has fewer of those. They've got a super talented roster. And top to bottom, Georgia's roster is deeper and more talented than Florida State's. There's no question about that. There never was any question about that. Just go to 24-7 and look at the at the talent ratio, at the uh, talent rankings, and you know, Georgia's at the top. And, you know, that takes that that one of the factors that that focuses on the most and that, that really that influences that the most is depth. And Georgia came into the season one of the two or three deepest teams in the country in terms of blue chip talent. Uh, basically, Georgia, Alabama, and Ohio State were the three deepest teams in terms of blue chip talent. And so, you know, if you look at teams that were able to absorb losing starters and losing players, Georgia's up at the very top of the of the country in terms of teams that can can lose guys and just plug another guy in who's a blue chip guy. And who can who you expect to be able to really play? They're younger in terms of some of that blue chip talent, 
uh, especially with some of these guys transferring out and, you know, guys like Marvin Jones Jr. not playing for Georgia in this one. But yeah, they're, they're, they've got more talent on the field. They're going to have more talent on the field overall and more depth than what Florida State has. But Florida State on the year, during the year, the, the regular season teams, uh, FSU had more top line guys. Georgia did not have a Johnny Wilson or a Keon Coleman. Florida State didn't have a Brock Bowers, but they had kind of a, a Walmart version of that with Jaheim Bell. And that's not a slight on Jaheim Bell, by the way. I mean, Bowers is one of the best tight ends to play college football. Jaheim Bell's really good is the point. So, you know, Jaheim Bell is closer to Bowers in in terms of what he can bring to the table than, you know, Lad McConkey is to Keon Coleman, for example, uh, or to, you know, Johnny Wilson. You know, Georgia didn't have a even a Trey Benson in terms of a home run hitter at the running back position. They got some really good backs, but not one of those. Uh, Georgia didn't have a Jared Verse this year. Really talented on defense. Bunch of monsters like usual, but no Jared Verse. And, you know, quality corners on both sides, but Georgia's are playing in this game. And, you know, FSU has a, a fifth-year guy who decided to, to opt out and another fifth-year guy who decided to opt out. So it's just a very, very different situation and frankly with when you look at who's sitting out and who's likely to sit out i mean some of the guys that that are gonna sit out for georgia haven't really said anything about that they've tried to keep that close to the vest but i don't accept i don't expect to see brock bowers allegedly lad mcconkey's gonna play i'm i'm a little suspicious about that amarius mims also expected to be out with his injury so there's you know they're, they're not going to be a full a full stable but they've got uh they've got more of the loaded deck than what they did before. I mean, a lot of the guys that are transferring out are not starters. So yeah, this is uh this is a game that's just very, very different than it would have been if these two teams had faced in the college football playoff where they're both loading up and playing with their full, with their full rosters and everything else. And obviously very different than if they'd played in the regular season when Jordan Travis is playing for Florida state, but you know, instead FSU is going to have, a depleted roster with a third string quarterback backed up by a bunch of walk-ons. And they're going to have to be careful just to make sure that he can finish the football game. <laughs> it's just a different, a completely different situation. And, you know, uh, I don't know what the actual percentages are on here, but it's, it's roughly 90% of Florida state's offensive production. is not going to play in this game. I mean, you start going down the depth chart and it is wild when you see what FSU is actually putting out on the field compared to what it was during the season. I mean, you look at that depth chart and Florida state is going to be down their first team, second team and fourth team quarterbacks, their first, second, third and fifth team running backs, their first and second team wide receivers, along with their sixth team wide receiver, their number one tight end, their number three tight end, their, uh, let's see, their uh, sixth offensive lineman, their number two defensive tackle, their number four defensive tackle, and their number six defensive tackle, their number one defensive end, their number three rotational linebacker, their number one corner, their number one slot corner, and their number one safety. That's That's just absolutely bonkers. 
That is an that is a decimated team. More than decimated, given the meaning, the actual meaning of decimated. That is a that that is that team is gutted of its of its best players. Then you start to go through the actual production. I mean, you lose your top three running backs, your top two quarterbacks. I mean, that's 90% of your rushing offense right there. Your top two quarterbacks and both of those receivers, and you know, Coleman and and uh Johnny were a disproportionate amount of the passing offense this season. So that's, you know, 80% plus of the passing offense and 95% or so in terms of actual passing yardage from the quarterback. So probably 70 some percent from the wide receiver position. Then you add Jaheim Bell. I mean, it's just the offense is going to be a completely different animal, completely different offense. I mean, they're, they've got Ja'Kai Douglas and Joshua Burrell listed at the second running back position. It's two run, that's two wide receivers. Now they're really what they're doing is that's the usual three back position where they have more of a split between more running back type guys and more wide receiver type guys. What that tells you is they're not going to do a whole lot of, uh, of two back stuff in this game. It's going to be Kaziah Holmes and Sam, Sam Singleton. And those are the guys you're going to get as a, as, as your, as your backs in this game. Cause they don't have anybody else. Maybe Ja'Kai Douglas gets in the backfield a couple times, but most of the time you're going to see him lined up out wide. It's just the way that it is. And you're starting Poitier, Destin Hill, and Darian Williamson at wide receiver. And, you know, of the wide receivers, you've got, uh, you've got what, three? Uh, or you've got two, two true freshmen in, in, the, uh, in the depth chart. It's going to be brutal on the offensive side. And you're playing against one of the best defenses in the country. Now, defensively, you're, you're losing less. Defensively, they have, you know, Farmer had hand surgery, so I'm surprised he's actually on this, and I'm not sure I really expect him to play. But defensively, you know, you lose Fabian Lovett, you lose Jared Verse, and then you lose... Uh, you lose your best corner in in green and then your best safety in uh in Akeem Dent. But, you know, the rest of the the nucleus is actually there. You got, you know, Bethune and Deloach, you've got Cypress, you've got Azaria Thomas, you've got Peyton, you've got Farmer, Fisk. You got a lot of players that can play on defense. So on the one hand, you kind of expect that this is going to be a better matchup defensively against a, a, a pretty good Georgia offense. But, you know, I got my hands on some data. And so, as is my way, I started to play around with that data and uh, <laughs> happened to notice some things. So, a few things here. Number one, Florida State's defense gave up 4.7 yards per play, which is good for 10th nationally. That's just raw yards per play, not accounting for garbage time, not accounting for uh strength of offense is faced. And that's against a very good slate of offenses because they, they played a tougher offensive schedule than most. You, know, you got, you got LSU on that schedule for one 4.7 yards per play is 10th nationally in the raw yards per play data. Now with Jared verse on the field, that goes up to 4.1 yards per play, which is good for third nationally when he's not on the field on the season, that number jumps 2.2 yards per play to 5.9 yards per play at 88th. That is insane. 
the pressure rate that Florida State put on the field with Jared Verse on the field is top three in the nation, but that pressure rate drops below a hundredth when Verse went to the sideline. Overall success rate. Florida State led the nation in success rate with Verse on the field. That drops to 51st with Verse off the field. There's an almost 14-point difference between in success rate between Verse on the field and Verse off the field. And by the way, the discrepancy, you'd think, okay, well, maybe that's just backups. No, no, no. It gets worse when you bracket out garbage time. When Verse was off the field in non-garbage time, so just restricting the, restricting the score to a game within 17 points, when Verse was off the field, Florida State's defense was 2.4 yards per play worse in 2023. Those numbers are absolutely staggering. I mean, I, I've been looking at this data going, this can't be right. But I know, I know the data is, I, I know the numbers are right. What that tells me is Jared Verse, he didn't have as many sacks this season as some people expected, but he may well have been the national defensive MVP, the most valuable defensive player in the country. Based on what I'm seeing here, I would be shocked if there's another player in the in the United States who is more important to his overall team's numbers, his, his team's success, than Jared Verse was this year for Florida State. I mean, their defense was a third, they gave up a third more yards per play with him off the field than on in actual like competitive game time. That's nuts. And this all goes to say, Florida State's going to be facing Georgia without Jared Verse. It's a completely different Florida State defense if you just don't have him out there. That also goes to show why it was so imperative that they add Marvin Jones Jr. <laughs> it's a whole different world without that elite end on the edge. And Marvin Jones Jr. is going to have a whole lot to live up to there. I don't think it's realistic, feasible to think that they're going to get what they got out of out of uh, verse this year from Jones Jr. next year. Not even, I mean, just wow. I, I, yeah. Take a quick break. All right, now that we're back, again, I, I just, those numbers with verse and without verse are so staggering that, again, when I first started looking at this game, it was like, okay, well, FSU is going to have trouble scoring because of the, all the opt-outs on offense. And it was just a very heavy opt-out on offense. I mean, most of the opt-outs are on offense. It's like, well, they're going to have trouble scoring, but, you know, that defense was really good all year. Maybe, you know, maybe they can they can hold Georgia down really well, you know, despite not having the offensive support. Maybe it just turns into an ugly slugfest and they got a chance to really come out and, and do something there. And I'm not going to rule that out. But that's why, you know, when I got my hands on some of this data... I, I was like, okay, well, let's just see, you know, how good they were without, without verse, you know, without uh, love it, you know, some of these guys that they had. And then I started looking at the verse numbers and went, there's just no way. Yeah. Well, what that tells me is this is going to be a game that's a, that's definitely an uphill battle on both sides of the ball against Georgia. 
So I'm not going to do the the usual thing where I break everything down one side of the ball for, you know, 10, 15 minutes or whatever. But I am, what I'm going to say is looking at Georgia as a, as an offense, Georgia was good on offense this year. Not, not as good as they've been the last couple of years. And, you know, the, the, they are, they were one of the best offenses in the country in terms of success rate. That's really where they had a lot of success and, you know, no pun intended, but in terms of overall success rate, Georgia was third in the country. They, they kept ahead of the chains. They did a lot of, of work putting themselves in advantageous positions. They ran the ball pretty well on the whole. I mean, you're looking at 5.1 yards per rush, uh, you know, completion percentage of 72%, 9.3 yards per attempt in, in the passing game. They just, it was a pretty standard offense. Run the football, put yourselves ahead of the chains, you know, get leverage and just matriculate the ball down the field and don't put yourself in danger. And, you know, they didn't turn it over very much. Only 12 sacks on the year and seven interceptions, <laughs> 14 total turnovers. It's pretty solid. I mean, you compare that Florida state was not nearly as, uh, as success rate heavy. And, you know, Florida state had 24 sacks given up double. And the big difference is Florida state only had two, two interceptions and five total turnovers. So if you're going to look at where this game can change, there are a couple things that I've noticed with Georgia this year. First of all, Georgia's offensive line coach is Stacy Searles. Now, Stacy Searles has been a journeyman offensive line coach who has coached all over the place. He coached at Texas under Mac Brown. He coached at Miami. He coached at uh, he coached at uh, Miami under I think Mark Richt. He coached I think at Georgia at one point under Mark. Uh, he has coached all over the place. But I got to be accustomed to watching his offensive lines at North Carolina, which is where he was hired from. He was at North Carolina before Kirby hired him away to come to Georgia. And I will say this, when he got hired away from North Carolina, I told the inside Carolina folks that I, you know, do that side of coverage for, for, for uh, CBS, uh, 24-7, the 24-7 affiliate for North Carolina. I told inside, the inside Carolina people and the subscribers there, UNC is probably going to get better on the offensive line with him leaving and give it a couple years and... I expect Georgia is going to get Stacy Searles a little bit where their offensive line is not going to be as physical. They're not going to be as, uh, as technically sound. They're not going to, they're not going to play with the same physical edge. Last year wasn't really an issue this year. I thought I saw some of those things starting to emerge this year. There were times where Georgia's offensive line got stuffed a little bit. I thought that was the difference in the sec championship game. Alabama was able to to hold up on the offensive line and ultimately pound the football when they needed to. Georgia got pushed around a little bit on the offensive line. Now, some of that was Mims being out, some of that. But another part of it was I saw some of the telltale signs of a Stacey Searles offensive line. And if they keep him for next year, you're going to see that impact them yet again. That's gonna They're going to take another, with all the talent that they've got, you're going to still see some decline on the offensive line year over year at Georgia next year because Cyril's will still be there. I'm just telling you that's how it works. That guy can coach a mediocre offensive line. <laughs> so what you're what you're kind of counting on if you're Florida State is finding ways 
with Fisk, Farmer, Daryl Jackson. Briggs is supposed to be playing in this. Daniel Lyons. Uh, Malcolm Ray is uh, apparently out there as well. You know, you get those guys on the interior. If they can get wins on the interior and Patrick Payton can get some wins on the edge. And then you're just going to have to get something from Edmund or, or Turner. And Edmund has Edmund was the real weakness when Verse was on the sideline. He was the primary weakness. If they can just get something in terms of being able to hold up against the run on with that front four and with those backers, they're going to give themselves a chance. But the thing is, they just were not as good against the run with Verse on the sideline because of how he was able to essentially two gap at that at that defensive end position. He was able to beat his guy so badly at that defensive end position that you couldn't run to his side very well. And he often chased chase plays down from the other side. And so he allowed the Florida State defense to have advantageous leverage basically all year just because he was out there. And also because team he would blow up the team's blocking schemes. And I do think Cypress, Azaria Thomas, they can cover Georgia's outside wide receivers. The concern you've got is Kevin Knowles at, at, at free safety. I think you're going to see much more Conrad Hussey there. But your concern is more at safety. What are you going to see there? But I, I think this game, whether it gets out of control or not, is very much going to hinge on whether or not Florida State is able to limit Georgia's running game by basically winning up front the way that Alabama did. And I think they would have done that with Jared Verse. I think it's an open question without him. It's not impossible, but Fisk is not the same, not quite the same player when he's not playing off of, you know, the guy outside him who's going to be a top 10 pick. He's a really good player, but he's, you know, it's a force multiplier to have Jared Verse next to Braden Fisk. That's unfair. Having Edmund or Turner next to him is not the same thing. They're going to have to find ways to be efficient defensively, knowing what they don't have on that edge now. But if they can do that, they can put themselves in position to compete. And then it's up to the offense. Offensively, the question is going to be whether or not Brock Glenn is going to be able to process well enough and, and throw comfortably enough to distribute the ball to playmakers. Because even with Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson and, and Jaheim Bell not playing in this game, you still have some players in Hakeem Williams, Destin Hill, Darian Williamson, Poitier to a little bit more limited extent, do span with his speed, all day Dre in the slot. You've got some guys who are capable of of getting open and potentially doing some things in the open field. You know, you get Hakeem Williams some one-on-ones and he's going to win those one-on-ones at times in this game. You get him the, the ball in the open field and he's got a chance to do something. So, so much hinges on whether Brock Glenn takes that big step forward compared to what he looked like against Louisville. And boy, it's a tough ask to have him go from to, to have his first start against Louisville against a team that if I remember right, they were the second best team in the, in the conference in the ACC in terms of pressure rate to go from that to then Georgia as your first two starts. My goodness. But you know, that's, that's what, that's the stick that he drew. 
And you do have a little bit healthier offensive line. Darius Washington, Robert Scott, you know, most likely Washington at tackle there. Then Roddick Smith, Emmanuel, Keandre Jones, and, and Jeremiah Byers rounding that out. You, you, you feel like you've got guys that can block a little bit. The splits, by the way, on uh, the offensive line in terms of some of the uh, yards per carry and all of that were also interesting in some of the data that I was able to get my hands on. But uh, I'll, I'll deal with that at a, at a later time. Suffice to say that uh, the, the splits were best with Keandre Jones at guard on the field somewhere. And uh, Dimitri Emanuel actually uh, was a net negative in terms of yards per carry all season. And we'll, we'll talk about that as we, as we get further. But uh, I think there's reason to, to be pretty confident that next year's offensive line could be a good bit better than this year's uh, just with a little bit of growth and, and uh, some of the, some of who's going to be sliding into different spots. Next year's offensive line could be really good. Uh, Again, the numbers are really interesting there. So that's something more for the offseason. But I do think this is an interesting game, even though I, you know, I, I think it's obvious that Florida State is basically battling uphill here. So that brings us then to what do I actually expect? Well, all season, I've, uh, I've felt that Florida State came into each game with a better than 50% chance of winning that game. A couple that were close to coin flips. And I was very clear on that. And I don't know what the, where I would sit in terms of the, uh, the Florida state beat in terms of my predictions on the games, but I'm, I'm pretty confident I'd be toward the top there. I don't know if uh, I'd have to go back and take a look at what the, all, what all the scores were. And, you know, somebody else would have to tell me what others did, but I felt like I had a pretty good handle on this team. <laughs> That's pretty much gone now. Because I don't think anybody knows, including the coaching staff, exactly what this team's going to look like when they get out there uh, with Brock Glenn at quarterback, with Keziah Holmes and Sam Singleton as your running backs, and you know the whole the whole setup of who you got. I I don't think that we really have a good sense of what they're going to look like against a quality team. Do I think they've got a puncher's chance? Yeah, I do. Can this team beat Georgia? That Georgia team, maybe. Maybe it's not impossible. I mean, again, Georgia's turned the ball over a few times this year. If you, if Florida state turns it over, I I think this could be really ugly. If FSU protects the football and, you know, ends every drive with a kick, there's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see how long they can hang because they're, they're going to give themselves a puncher's chance. And one thing I do know is Mike Norvell can scheme up an offensive game plan. It's going to be really interesting to see how deep in his bag he reaches in this one. Because it's going to have to be real deep to win this game. But I don't think Florida State is, you know, a better than 50% chance to win this game. I think it's more like a, you know, 30% chance or 25% chance, maybe even a 20% chance. I'm going to go with a 25% chance to win somewhere in there. And ultimately, I expect that Georgia's overall quality depth ends up being the difference in this one down the stretch. And I do think Georgia's going to win this game. Uh, I think you've got a veteran quarterback, a team that by and large, the, its starters have largely stuck with the with their team uh, over the course of the, of the bowl prep and are, are likely to play. Again, they don't have as many guys who for whom opting out makes sense in terms of their top-level guys. Most of those guys are coming back next year. So ultimately, I'm going to go with Georgia winning this game 
Uh, I'm going to go with Georgia 31, Florida State 13. And I think, you know, getting 13 in this game with the offensive situation uh, is pretty good. But uh, yeah, I think this is this is a really uphill battle. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm interested to see if FSU can outperform my expectations there. But I, I do think this is going to be a tough, a, a tough, uh, tough outing. And yeah, we'll just wrap it there. Talk to you all after the game. This has been the Unconquered Podcast with Doc Staples. I'm your host, Doc Staples. Thanks for listening. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts and wherever else you listen to podcasts, post and repost episodes on social media, and tell a friend. And if you haven't left a review in a while, do it again. It really does help the visibility of the podcast. Before we go, I'd also like to thank my advertising partners once more. That's EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, Shenandoah Real Estate in the Research Triangle of North Carolina, Garage Makeovers, the number one garage remodeling company in South Florida, and Justin Galloway of Benchmark Mortgage, serving Florida, Alabama, Tennessee, and Kentucky. You can also stop by the Unconquered shop at unconqueredpodcast.com where you can buy stickers, pins, magnets, t-shirts, and other swag. And thanks also to all those supporters over at Patreon where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast. I am especially grateful to those above the dynasty level. That is Andrew Garrett, Brian Leininger, Neil Cook, Casey Kidd, Chris Chartrand, Dave Blair, Hector Cartagena, Jack Horton, Jimmy Van, Jonathan Kennedy, Keith Cheney, Lee Caswell, Tyler Kashishke, Vince Calandra, and Bert Bertoldi. You all are far more generous than I deserve. I'm really grateful. Thanks to you all. This has been Unconquered with Doc Staples. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support. I made this. <laughs>